The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. All right, we're here once again, another edition of the Disability Law Show. It is amazing you've decided to join us. Hopefully for the entire hour, you will learn a lot, and maybe you'll end up picking up that phone at the end of it and talking to Martin. Martin Willems is your guy. Courtesy Samfiru to Mark and LLP. Reach out to Martin anytime if you have any questions dealing with that long-term disability insurer. It could be a variety of reasons. Maybe you were uh, denied coverage. Maybe uh, they didn't want to bring you on. Maybe they've asked you to appeal and cut you off, or you've been told you're going to be cut off. There's almost uh, endless reasons why you might be going to uh, somewhat of a uh, verbal battle with your insurance company. But be well-armed, and if it gets to the point where you need Martin, you can always reach out through phone. That's one 855 2-1-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. Emails, Martin, are already piling in. we got a big one off the top. I know we'll get to you very shortly, pal, but uh, you always give us a bit of an opening salvo with something you've been working on. What do you say? Yes, thanks, John. So every week when we have the show, we, I speak about things that have happened in the past week or things that pop up every now and again, and things do seem to come in waves. And this week, what I'm going to be speaking about is things called notice and proof of claim provisions. So you've probably heard me say this a million times. A policy that you have is a contract. This is the disability policy that I'm speaking of. And every contract policy has rights, obligations, and provisions. So when you have a disability claim and you intend to file a claim with the insurance company, to get benefits, be they short-term or long-term, but let's for the moment focus on long-term disability benefits. Then there are certain timelines within which you must submit, firstly, what is called notice of claim. In other words, you advise the insurance company that you intend to file a claim. And then proof of claim, which means that you have to submit various documents. And these would be something called a plan sponsor statement, which is a document completed by the employer. Then there is an attending physician statement, which is a document completed by the doctor. And then there is an employee statement, which is the document that you complete detailing your name, date of birth, your disability, what you've been doing, and why it is that you cannot work. So the reason why I'm speaking about this today is these policies, as I said, they've got these provisions. And the provisions generally, now every policy is different, but generally the provisions may apply, uh, provide that you have to provide notice of claim within 30 days of the disability commencing or 30 days within which the short-term disability period may have ended. And then there's the proof of claim, which may have to be provided 90 days after the, the short-term period ended or 90 days after the disability commenced. And if you don't do that, you are at risk that your claim may be denied. The reason why I'm speaking about this today is I've seen an increase in cases where people contact us and their claims were denied because the insurance company may say, well, you didn't provide notice of claim no. or proof of claim within the contractual timeline. In other words, within those 30 or 90 days, depending on what the time frame is that is detailed in your policy. Now, there are various ways to approach this. The first thing is we want to know why it is that the person submitted the claim late or provided proof of claim late. And generally, if you think about it, 
why would anybody do that? Why would they submit the claim late? Is it just because they're not interested in getting financial support while they cannot work? Clearly, it cannot be that. There must be a reason. So for some people, it may be that they didn't know that they had coverage. I've, and there's actually case law, in other words, cases that have gone on and there were legal claims and there were judgments on these where courts have provided something called relief against forfeiture, which is an equitable yep. principle, which really just means that the courts have listened to the person's circumstances and their explanation as to why the claim was submitted late and accepted that they're going to relieve the person from forfeiting their benefit because ultimately there wasn't really any prejudice to the insurance company. Right. And it would be in cases where, I'll use an example, somebody doesn't have great English skills, um, didn't understand the paperwork that was provided to them and understood from the employer that they didn't have coverage. And only later on, when they got in touch with a lawyer, that they realized that there was indeed coverage in place. And then they submitted the claim, even two years or three years after the fact. And those claims were denied by the insurance companies, but ultimately they were accepted to be approved because there was a reasonable explanation as to why the claim was being submitted and there was no prejudice to the insurance company. So that principle is applied by court, but we also argue that principle when we get involved in legal claims. And the reason why I'm speaking about that is not just because we've seen an increase in these, but also because when we get involved and we represent clients with respect to their disability claims in a, in a situation where the person was denied because they didn't submit the claim in time or they didn't submit proof of claim in time, I claim that if it does, the claim does end up at that end phase where a judge has to make a decision, which very few of them do, that that is what we're going to be asking the judge to do, to allow the person to still have their benefit because the explanation as to why this was done was reasonable. So in the past year, we've had a few cases. I've had a few cases where the person submitted the claim late because they were being paid WorkSafe benefits. And this is something you hear me speak about all the time. Yep. The person was being paid WorkSafe benefits, WCB benefits, did not submit a claim to the insurance company because they didn't think that they should because their claim was being paid, their income was being paid by WCB. But when sure. WCB denied the claim, they had no more money. And then the employer said to them, oh, okay, you can apply to LTD now, to the insurance company, which in turn then resulted in the insurance company denying the claim because they were not, the claim was not submitted within time. So they use this often because they're relying on the contract. And I understand to some degree why they may do that, but they also have to listen to the person explaining why the claim was submitted late. So it goes back to my earlier comment. Why would anybody submit a claim late if they're entitled to benefits? You're not going to sit there and wait four months, a year, two years, if you know that you can get your LTD paid. So there generally is a good reason. I've had other cases where the person didn't recognize that they had a disability. And it sounds strange when I say that, really? but it may be neurocognitive disorders where the person is working, they're making mistakes. They think it's maybe just old age related as the aging process. We know that sometimes we all I suppose may start to forget things, but this is so steady and slow that there was a cognitive decline that the person didn't realize as their employment was terminated. 
because they were making mistakes. The employer just thought, well, this person isn't really interested in working again. And then afterwards, a year or two later, as the condition was getting worse, there was a firm diagnosis of a neurocognitive disorder. And then looking back in time, the person realized, really their family members realized, why it is that they were starting to forget things, why it is that they were making mistakes when they were giving uh, awards at work as to what great work they were doing, what a great employee they were. But then suddenly started to make these mistakes and the employer said, well, we're going to terminate you. Now it, it all fit. It all made sense. Yeah. But it took a year or two or three for the person to realize what was happening, for there to be a diagnosis. And then having to go back to the employer where the employer said, well, you don't have coverage because we terminated you, which makes it more complicated because you have to show that your disability arose while you were working. And in this case, the argument was, well, the person did have it while they were working and they were terminated because of the disability, because of the mistakes they were making. So, of course, the insurance company denied that claim, saying, number one, you don't have coverage. And number two, you're way too late to submit the claim. And we got involved and the claim resulted in a significant settlement in favor of the person. Because, you know, these contracts, they're very abstract documents, right? So it is, it's a situation it's written in a way that it everything has to fall within those contracts but it doesn't recognize real life real life situations right if you have depression and you cannot work you make a claim you go off work the insurance company may pay you but what i've just explained to you that there is there are other conditions like the neurocognitive disorders like alzheimer's like other conditions where the person doesn't know they don't recognize what's happening because it's very slow, but it is progressive. These disability policies do not recognize conditions like that or situations like that because it isn't a one-size-fits-all scenario. And that's where we get involved. And I can tell you this, the clients in those cases were extremely grateful and happy that we were able to assist them because they were struggling. Right? It, it is a very difficult thing to be dealing with that, that type of condition, not having a financial benefit coming in, it's very stressful. It leads to um, mental health disorders as well. And then having to deal with the insurance company, with all of that happening, being told that you were submitting the claim too late, they struggle. And I understand why that happens. So if you do have a claim that has been submitted late and the insurance company says to you in, uh, in a denial letter, well, we're relying on this contract. You needed to submit it by this date and you are too late. We are now denying the claim. I've spoken to two people this week who have had this happen and advised them as to what their options are. Because do not simply accept that the insurance company is correct because they're referring to that contract. Yes, the contract may provide that. But we also have to be realistic and look at what happened in the real world sense to see whether there is an arguable claim where you may be forgiven for having made a completely innocent error because you weren't aware of the terms of the policy and you may have been given the wrong advice. Like people who are told by their employees, don't submit it to the LTD insurer. This is a WCB claim. Go through them. And then you find two years down the line that they're denying the claim. And now what do you do? Still submit that claim to the insurer. And if they deny you, you contact our firm because as you know, we offer free consultations and we work throughout Canada other than the territories in Quebec. And we've got offices in Alberta, BC, and Ontario. 
Great star, man. Some good information there. Again, we always encourage you to reach out to Martin if you're uh, under any stress in this situation dealing with that insurer. They can sure help for sure. 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address. That is where we're going to go after a short break, uh, Martin. So you and you as well, if you're listening, stick around for that. And we'll be right back after a short break. This is the Disability Law Show. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. All right, and welcome back to the Disability Law Show. Thank you so much for tuning in uh, this week. It's uh, Martin Willems is your guy. Sam Firu to mark an LLP is more than capable of uh, handling your issues dealing with your disability insurer, whether you've been uh, told to... uh you know, file a claim, not file a claim. You've been denied. Hey, how about appealing a claim for the 14th time? You don't want to do any of that stuff. Sidestep it. Give uh, Martin and his team a call anytime. At least have a discussion. Won't cost you a thing to pick up a phone and get that information, right? one 821 5900 Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address we're going to. Okay, Martin, strap in. we got a big one here, but it's uh, it's a really interesting email, so uh, it's going to go like this. Martin, I am a right-hand dominant 56-year-old woman who has worked in the field doing manual labor my whole career. I broke my right wrist in an accident. It wasn't aligned properly in the ER, and I've had ongoing pain and limited range of motion since. I went back to work on light duty, but it was unsuccessful, and my employer wanted me to go off, so I went on LTD, and have been on LTD since March of 2020. I had numerous assessments, which included an eight-hour assessment that indicated I was only suitable for sedentary work. The last assessment was December 2022, and LTD threatened to cut me off around that time, but finally reversed their decision. Recently, LTD told me that they were going to retrain me and sent me for occupational therapy and physiotherapy. I did not respond well to therapy and developed broken blood vessels in my fingers, so they cut back on the therapy. LTD advised me that they're going to retrain me, and I have to take Outlook, Word, and Excel training, despite never having worked in a professional office environment ever. They also told me that I have an OT session scheduled for December 27th and I'm not allowed to go visit my sick dad who is suffering from cancer and located in another city about a day away by car. This uh, email continues here, Martin. So uh, we're, al- we're almost getting through this, but I can see you can, you can see the, uh, the highlights of it already. I really want to go visit my family. I am so stressed out over everything, including LTD telling me I'm not allowed to visit my family over Christmas. I will not be able to be successful with the retraining or even able to find work in any office at 56 years old. I feel I have the skills, but LTD has not explored what I might be able to do to target training for my skills. What do I do? Okay, so there's a lot going on there. Uh, Let's try and break it down. Yep. So the first thing is we know that this lady says she's been on LTD since March of 2020 which tells me if this is a group policy, which I believe it is, and if it is like most group policies, it means that in March of 2022, the insurance company may have approved the claim into what is called the any occupation phase, because generally that phase is two years for the own occupation. So at this point, they're accepting that this lady cannot work in another occupation, but clearly they are extremely motivated and dedicated to try and get her into a position where they can then say, we believe you are now employable in a different capacity other than your own. Now, look at what, what, what was happening here. The 
education training experience, which is the thing, which is the transferable skill sets that she has. That's what insurance companies must look at in order to assess whether she is able to work in another occupation, right? For somebody who has been working in the field, using her words, doing manual labor her whole career, yeah. and she's 56 years old, now she's expected to go work in an office environment, and they're pushing her, aggressively so, to the point that she had broken blood vessels in her fingers, to get to a point where they can say, oh, we're going to step away now, because we believe you can now go work in a professional office environment. So this is what it means. When you get to the any occupation phase, which clearly here has happened a year or two ago, the insurance companies then assess, are you able to work in another occupation based on your education, your training, and your experience, and your medical restrictions and limitations, to work in another occupation that would pay you roughly the same as your LTD benefit amount. So this is a very difficult situation for her to be in. I would advise definitely for her to go have a discussion with her doctor and get the doctor on board because I can see this, is, this seems to be heading towards a denial. And this thing about them not allowing her to go see her father, who is very ill in another city, I suppose it depends on the actual circumstances here, whether it is we want you to go on December 27th, but you can then leave on December 28th. Well, they're saying, well, you're going to go regardless. It really depends on the circumstances. But I also think that there should be a human compassionate approach here as well. It's not that she's saying she will not attend. It is that she's asking to go visit her family for Christmas, which is understandable, right? There has to be a reasonable approach in cases like this. They will refer to the policy. I fully get that. But it may not look good on them further down the line if there were to be a legal claim. And this was the approach that was being taken by somebody who clearly participated in a very, very reasonable way with the treatment to the point that she re-injured herself. She's clearly motivated to get better and to try and get back into the workforce. But as she says, she's been working in a manual field all her life doing physical labor. And now they want to put her in a office environment to earn what? I mean, just doing some Excel and Microsoft courses, that's not going to put her back into a place where they can now say she can work in an office environment. So, to me, this is somewhat of an artificial approach. It's an aggressive approach to get it off claim. And I would strongly advise that if this insurance company denies you, which I think, unfortunately, this is where this is headed, and then they're going to offer you the opportunity to appeal, considering these facts, I don't think that's where this would go. So speak with us, and we can assist potentially with a legal claim where you don't have to deal with this Not th this anymore you can come to us and we will deal with the insurance company on your behalf where you can focus on your treatment and doing what is right for you at your end where we will deal with the insurance company moving forward if there were to be a denial but in the meantime make sure that you see your doctor on a very regular basis and report to your doctor if there is any worsening in the condition because remember with all of this happening and the stress of having a sick family and not being able to work if there is a mental health component that has raised its head here as well, make sure that you discuss that with your doctor so that everything is documented. Because I will say this, I've had lots of clients, and it's almost invariable when you have somebody who has chronic pain resulting from the injury. They're not able to work. They're struggling. They're finding it very stressful in dealing with the insurance company. 
who would be pushing them to do things like this, that they find that their mental health suffers. And that has to be addressed as well. And obviously, when you deal with mental health, many times you would find that as a result of the mental health condition, the person has difficulties to focus, to concentrate, to multitask, to comprehend new information, to deal with other people, right? So these are all things that should be looked at globally to see whether she is able to go back to work in any other occupation. But I fully expect that we're going to be speaking to this lady soon, considering where this is heading. That phone number, by the way, that Martin just mentioned, reach out on your own. It's uh, 1-855-821-5900. Next email goes, uh, hey, Martin, love the show. Tell me this. My LTD started in October 2020 for chronic anxiety and depression. Prior to that, I was on short-term disability. I'm on prescribed medication, continued to attend therapy sessions, and have had several sessions with psychiatrists. I turned 65 in February of 2024, and I received a letter from my health care provider that my LTD ends the day before my birthday. They will continue to pay my monthly LTD payments until that day. After that, I will not have any income. I want to understand where I stand from an employment and health coverage perspective. I believe I'm still an employer, uh, an employee of the organization that I work for, and my health care coverage ends when I reach age 65. There's an option to privately pay for continued coverage. My spouse retired earlier this year, so we will have no coverage after this date. Uh, I'm not uh, ready to return to work due to my illness, and I'm not ready to retire due to outstanding financial commitments. Could you please explain to me what my options might be? Okay, well, this is an interesting situation, and I would say it's a hybrid situation between long-term disability and employment matters. So, as you know, at our firm, we're fortunate in that sense because we handle long-term disability, short-term critical illness, and life insurance cases. And we also have an employment team. So with respect to the employment question, I advise that you contact our intake team and they can put you in touch with one of the employment lawyers to explore what options you have with respect to your employment. Because if you still are job attached, and it sounds like you are, um, come February 2024 when the LTD benefits end, you may want to explore where do, do things go in terms of the employment aspect. With respect to the rest of it, Most LTD policies, the vast majority of them, provide that benefits end at the age of 65. Some may provide that benefits end at the age of 60. So do your due diligence, have a review of the policy, and do see if it ends at the age of 65. I fully expect that it does because the insurance company is also advising that it would. There's a question related to healthcare coverage, which would be your extended health. And I was going to say, when we started reading this, look at the policy, whether there is a provision that allows you to request a conversion where you can then convert your group coverage into individual coverage, where you have your own private policy, which you have to pay premiums for with respect to your ongoing extended health and dental coverage. So it sounds like that is what is available under this policy. Do review it and um, apply for it within the specific timelines that they do provide in the policy. Um, unfortunately, I do think that benefits are going to be ending at the age of 65. Consider that one thing that you could have done here is potentially apply for CPP disability benefits prior to the age of 65 to see if there is something that would be payable there. Then, of course, when you get to 65, I think you can also access the regular CPP. But if the benefits do end, under the, if the policy provides 
that LTD benefits end at the age of 65, there will no there will be no more benefits with respect to LTD under this policy. But with respect to the rest, employment issue, as I said, do contact our team so that they can put you in touch with one of our employment lawyers. And that uh, number to do so, as Martin said, it's the one-two punch having uh, employment and disability right next door because often they go hand in hand. Here's a perfect example of laid out of uh, of just that, one 821 5900 Martin, my insurance provider is requesting me to apply for Canadian Disability Pension. Why do they want this and can they force me to do so? So, you know what? We speak about this regularly and the fact that these questions come up you know, I th- I do find it a good thing because then we can speak about it with somebody uh, without somebody saying, "Why does that pick me out the same thing all the time?" <laughs> so, this is a question that comes up a lot. Insurance policies do provide that, and I'm speaking about group policies in specific, that the insurance company can deduct certain things that are called offsets, and that would be income that you would be eligible for from other sources if it is due to the same disability. It really depends on the language of each policy, as it is not all of them are the same. But in a general sense, almost all group policies do provide that if you are eligible for CPP disability benefits, that you should apply because the insurance company is allowed to deduct it under the terms of that policy. Some policies may also provide that if you do not apply, that the insurance company can estimate the amount and deduct it in any event. So you want to have a look at what your policy provides for, ask the insurance company to provide you with the offset provisions. And if it does provide that you have to apply or that CPP is an offset, it also depends on how long you've been on claim for, of course. If it gets closer to the any occupation phase, they probably will tell you to apply for CPP disability benefits. And if approved, yes, it's an offset, but it doesn't get assessed like LTD on a very regular basis. You may continue to receive it to the age of 65. So why do they apply? Why do they force you to do it? Because the policies generally allow them to do it. But let's look at your policy to make sure. You got it. With that, we'll uh, get into a short break here. Many more emails to get through, and we'll endeavor to get to as much as we can over the next few minutes of the show. In the meantime, send one along. If it doesn't appear today or tonight's show, it'll appear on a future one, help at disabilityrights.ca. And the phone number to reach Martin and his crew, 1-855-821-5900. This is the Disability Law Show. Hang in. We're coming right back. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And we are back. Disability Law Show. Martin Willems, always the one here giving you the information. And reach out to Martin as well after the show anytime. one 821 5900 We can email. There's also the option of mydisabilityquestions.com. The beauty of that website, it's free and anonymous, of course, but you can ask your questions and you can even search to see if a similar question has uh, come up. That's the way the algorithm works. Again, mydisabilityquestions.com. We've got a few of those coming up here as well. And a good old-fashioned email always is help at disabilityrights.ca. Next one is, uh, guys, worked uh, for years for a government organization and have been collecting a pension of $2,000 per month since 2015. In 2016, I started with a new employer. I went off on LTD in 2022, and the insurer is saying that they want to deduct the pension I'm receiving from my previous employer from my LTD benefit amount. They were aware of this when the claim was approved, but only now have raised it. 
I don't think it's reasonable as I've received a pension before I even started working at my current employer. Is the insurer allowed to do this? Well, well, well. <laughs> so we, what we're speaking about is, again, like the previous question regarding CPP disability benefits, we're speaking about what insurance companies can deduct from your LTD benefit amount. So CPPD, the, the Canada Pension Plan Disability Benefit, as I said before, in general, that, that's deductible in almost all policies. But other things like WCB benefits, that probably also is deductible. But when you look at things like severance and other sources of income, it really depends on the wording of the policy. So in this case, the pension that has been collected, if it had been collected from this employer, this employer, not the previous one, then the policy may provide that it is an offset or that it is what is called an indirect offset. It really depends on the language of the policy. But if it is a pension that had, and which in this case is true, a pension that has been collected even from before this person started working at this employer, in other words, from a previous employer, I struggle to see how that would be an offset. Of course, it really depends on the language of the policy. It's interesting that this has come up because I actually have had this specific situation um, where the insurance company tried to deduct it. We reviewed the terms of the policy and advised them that it's not a proper offset because the policy, the pension was being received from a previous employee. In other words, this person was working, maybe earning $5,000 a month with this specific employer. They were also receiving $2,000 from a pension from a previous employer. Now they go off work. So they were making $7,000 in total. Now the LTD is going to be maybe 60% of that $5,000. And the insurance company also wants to deduct the $2,000. That has nothing to do with this employer from that amount. That doesn't seem reasonable. It doesn't seem fair. So I would say let's review the terms of that policy to make sure that it is an offset because I highly doubt that it is. The case manager may simply have overlooked the phrase because if it is from this current employer, yes, maybe that is an offset. But from a previous employer, I would have difficulty with that. So I would want to look at the policy is, is the point. Again, that email address that we're going to every show is help at disabilityrights.ca. A short one here, but interesting. My insurers require me to apply for CPP disability. Here we go again. Will my income be lowered because it's taxable income? You know, that this uh, over the years, uh, I have spoken to so many people who are so upset about this, and I understand why. So the policy that you have, remember what we've been discussing for the past 20 minutes now, is CPP disability benefits. Let's assume that the policy says that it is an offset, which it very likely does. Your benefit may be non-taxable, your LTD benefit, because you were paying the premiums, yeah. but your CPP disability benefit is a taxable benefit. It is. There's no two ways about that. Does the policy recognize that that is taxable, yet your LTD benefit is non-taxable? It doesn't. So unfortunately, it is still a benefit, even a, a deduction at the full taxed amount. In other words, the CPP disability benefit, the gross amount, not the net amount, is an offset. The only thing that I could suggest to you is consider applying for the disability tax credit, tax credit yeah. through the CRA. 
And there are certain forms that you have to complete, which would include a form completed by the doctor, which would explain why you would qualify for the disability tax credit. I know there are various things that you have to identify as to what the restrictions and limitations may be. And if that disability tax credit application is denied, remember you can still appeal it as well. So don't just simply accept any denial. And if you do have your disability tax credit in place, then you can see how that works in terms of getting some form of credit in terms of the taxable CPP disability that you're receiving. But with respect to the insurance company, no, they're not going to recognize and give you uh, some form of a credit because your benefit may be non-taxable where CPP yeah. is taxable. Well, I mean, as we as we've already mentioned, CPP, everyone thinks it's a negative thing, but it, there's also the benefit of you know, arguably, as you've been saying for many years, Martin, it's a tougher test. So once you're on there, it's and the insurance decides to cut you off. You're like, hey, wait a minute, look, these guys over here, their test is tougher, arguably, and they still have me on disability. Plus, if you do get cut off, you got a source of income, which for most of these people's much needed, right? John, that's such a good point. And you know what? Even more so, what I didn't mention there is with disability, with the CPP disability plan, you also get what is called a cost of living allowance. So every year there is a right. bit of an increase. And the policies that you have with the insurance company, vast majority of them do not provide that the increase, your yearly increase, is an offset. So if you get $1,000 for CPP and then the next year you get $1,050, that extra extra $50 per month do not get deducted from the LTD benefit amount. So that's a plus, obviously. Yes, it is still taxable. Um, another thing is you may have children, right? And if you get CPP disability, Depends on who's responsible for the children, what their ages are. But you can also get CPP disability benefits. Uh, it's called a child benefit. Oh. And it's not as much as the CPP disability benefit sure. itself. But it is a benefit. And v many policies do not provide that the CPP disability benefit that you receive for your children is a direct offset. It may be deemed to be an indirect offset, which is an entirely different calculation. Gotcha. But again, there's a benefit there. And that in, in itself may also increase anything. So there is some benefit to receiving these benefits. You bet. More emails coming up here after a short break. In the meantime, uh, the phone number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Stick around. You're listening to the Disability Law Show. We're coming right back. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. This is the Disability Law Show. Thank you so much for uh, hanging out. If you've made it through the whole hour, we appreciate that. You can always follow up with a phone call at the uh, at the end of it, and that is to Martin and his team, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address we always go to. And for more concise uh, explanations and all things in the LTD umbrella, go to ltdfaq.ca. That's free, of course, to use anytime. Uh, next email, let's roll down here. It says, uh, guys, I had a brain tumor surgery in May 2023, and I'm currently receiving chemotherapy treatments. The treatments will last until May of 2034. 
Uh, I'm unable to work due to my illness. I was receiving short-term disability for a few months, and then my employer stopped those payments. They told me to go to employment insurance, which I did. A few months after that, uh, a few months after I applied for those, I started receiving employment insurance payments. However, I also started receiving LTD payments from my company's insurance. Can I be receiving both payments at the same time? I cannot support myself on just one of those payments, but I don't want to have issues with the employment insurance. Uh, I don't want to have, uh, pardon me, issues with employment insurance, not the private insurance company. That's a bit of a conundrum. What do you think? It is a bit of a conundrum. So Uh I, I, as I understand this, the person has a disability, has gone off work, was receiving a short-term disability benefits for a few months. Generally, it's about four months. Sometimes it's six months. Sometimes it may be a year. But for a few months, let's assume it's four months. Um, then payments stop because it's short-term. What generally then happens is you apply for LTD, or you will have already applied for LTD, and it transitions into LTD immediately. There's not normally a gap um, unless it is some unionized um, collective bargaining uh, something that has been collectively bargained for. Uh, but let's assume for the moment that it isn't. If you then receive employment insurance benefits and started to receive LTD and it's you know overlapping the time frame, I think that there is going to be an issue there. Uh, you will have to review the policy again to see what are offsets. It seems to be we're speaking about offsets in this two seconds. Um, LTD benefits may be reduced by other government benefits and employment insurance may qualify as one of those on the other end service canada i'm not sure how they will deal with this because we don't handle employment insurance claims but they may not have approved the claim had they known that you are receiving long-term disability benefits in addition to what they're now paying you so i mean i don't want to tell you what to do but it may make sense to approach Service Canada and just tell them because you don't want to be in a position where you continue to receive this, they find out about this later and then say we want all our money back and you've already spent it and now you don't you're not in a position to pay it back. So it probably makes sense, number one, to review the LTD policy to see if EI benefits are deductible. And number two, speak to Service Canada to see whether you are in a position to collect both LTD and medical EI at the same time. There you go. Quick and easy answer, but uh, for sure one to uh, follow up on. If you need more information, call Martin and his team. By the way, thank you for that email, one 821 5900 Let's work down the list, pal. We've got so many, but we'll try to get to as many as we can with the reigning time. Uh, Martin, I'm on LTD. and has been recommended by my doctor that I continue physio and massage therapy. I have since used all my personal allowances for these services and am now to pay out of pocket. The insurance companies said they would continue to pay for these services, but only if provided by their sponsored facility. Am I entitled uh, to any additional coverage slash benefits in this situation? Without these treatments, my conditions will only worsen, making my recovery and potential return to work less likely. Do I have any options? You know, this is such a frustrating situation because, and I've spoken about this before, the policies that you have for long-term disability, the benefits that are payable under those policies are long-term disability benefits. Many people ask me, well, the insurance company should be paying my treatment. The policies don't provide for that. The insurance company doesn't have to pay you or ask to pay your treatment. Um, the reason for that is you may have extended health. 
Now, what's happened here is this person has exhausted their extended health. In other words, you may have 10 or 12 sessions of physiotherapy or massage therapy allotted per year, and beyond that, they don't get covered. And this is what has happened. This person has exhausted all of that. Now they're in a position where they don't have the money to pay for that treatment. Their income has already been reduced because LTD is a percentage of your predisability income. So finances are clearly tight. You need this treatment to carry on and hopefully improve. Otherwise, your condition may worsen, as is said here. And if you do carry on with the treatment, the focus, of course, is to get back to work so that to get better so you can get back to work. So when the insurance company turns around and says, we will continue to pay for these on the provision, on the condition that you go to our, as is described here, sponsored facility. What that means is the insurance company is contracting with some clinic where they have treatment providers, be they massage therapists or kinesiologists or physiotherapists, and they will have a return to work mandate. If you do get involved in this treatment, we want you to get this person ready to go, get back to work. Now, there's nothing wrong with that as a goal to get to help a person get back into the workforce by the treatment that you're doing. But there's also, I would assume, some pressure there to get the person back, even if they're still struggling. Because what, they, what I've seen happen before, for example, is I've had clients who have gone through counseling and the insurance company says, well, we don't agree with that counseling because it's not return to work focused. And you're going through physiotherapy or massage therapy. I don't see how there would be such a huge difference between going through your own treatment providers mm -hmm. and the insurance company's treatment providers if the treatment is the same. So why on earth would they not agree to pay your treatment providers versus forcing you to go with somebody else who you do not even have a treat, uh, patient treatment provider relationship with. So what I would suggest is contact the insurance company again, get um, letters from the doctor and the treatment providers detailing what the treatment is that they are prescribing, what the focus is, and hopefully the insurance company will agree to pay for those treatments and ask them, why must I go to your treatment provider? How is it different from what I'm doing? But unfortunately, there is no duty on the insurance company to pay for your treatment. Right. Um, if they do cut you off and you refuse to, well, it's not that you're refusing to attend treatment, but if they do cut you off, again, reach out to us because we can definitely discuss what your options would be moving forward so you can make an informed opinion as to how to proceed. There was always answers when emailing this show, and it's uh, quite often a state of panic that people email in, but there's uh, there's always a conversation to be had after everything is uh, said and done here over this hour, which we're uh, up against the, uh, the wall for time, pal, but uh, good stuff. Got to as many emails as possible. Thank you for uh, providing an email if you sent it in and continue to do so. We'll get to more next week, as we always do. And in the meantime, here is the address we always work with as well, help at disabilityrights.ca. Phone number to reach Martin directly and his team, one 855 821-5900. Don't be bashful to pick up a phone. A conversation's uh, private. It's going to cost you nothing just to get some information. one 855 And for any other questions on your tablet, uh, your phone, your desktop, whatever, you can go to mydisabilityquestions.com and ask them there. They will get answered. Thanks so much for tuning in and uh, contributing as well. And we'll catch you next time right here on the Disability Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.